Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Jolt Ola, and you probably, if you follow anyone in instructional design or e-learning on LinkedIn, or if you're in the instructional designer Facebook group, you have seen this name, or if you read articles at the e-learning industry um, blog place, then you have seen his work and you've probably seen his posts. And so the reason why I have involved invited him today is because he is writing an in-depth article on basically just getting into instructional design and and what all that means and the different titles and how you make the transition and so i know through his research um he has got some great information to share with us but um before we get into that joel will you please introduce yourself better than i just did <laughs> <laughs> now it was it was perfect introduction short sweet um all you need to know about me is there um so my name is jolt ola and, and those of you who are uh, you go to starbucks you know you, you introduce yourself you get your name and they're really proud of themselves that they write your name on it so whenever i go to starbucks i get like fred z all kinds of things i just call myself something else every time I walk in originally from Hungary, and so this is what the Z, S, and Jolt sound comes in. Um, and uh, if I have to introduce myself quickly, I, I would say that I have two lives. One is the engineering and programming and kind of like a techie person. I do have an engineering degree, uh, programming, fiddle with uh, machine learning, that sort of thing when I, I graduated. And then I decided that I like people. So I went to the all the way to the side and did um, in social design, um, learning and teaching. And so ever since, uh, and it was a long time ago, ever since there was always projects somewhere in between. So I, I utterly can confuse people on the phone because I can talk to an engineer down to the code level and then switch to a high level design, needs assessment, that sort of thing. So I enjoy this like in between world that's um, usually occupied by either IT or um, instructional designers. So that's kind of like, I think, a quick um, intro uh, for me. And if you've seen me, you probably seen me at conferences that I speak, um, mostly about engagement, uh, gamification, and, and lately about how to use data to, to tell stories um, within um, instructional design. Oh my gosh. Well, um, you just gave me a whole list of things to invite you back for. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that we just love to hear, especially from our veterans, is how did you become an idol? Or you said that you got into instructional design many moons ago. So how long ago and how did you make that transition? Um, so my first um, degree back in um, Hungary when I, I grew up, it was uh, before the, the whole world collapsed um, and we had this iron curtain and all that. So that was the time, exciting time when I turned 18, when all these things suddenly opened up and the West came in and that sort of thing. It was an exciting time. It was also an exciting time for learning something brand new that was um, 25, 30 years ago or so. 
And one interesting thing is that, that um, when I finished, I learned programming, so you know, C++ and JavaScript and everything that I do now, I learned like 20 something years ago and obviously I kept it up, but that's kind of the starting point with, with engineering and computers. And, um, and after that, when I finished, I got my degree, I decided that I like people, I don't wanna sit with a computer for eight hours. And so I went um, and completed another degree and that was the um, teaching part. I did have to go and teach actually kids, like real kids. So I was a teacher for a whole year. Um, and I decided that um, I rather work with adults um, and deal with their whining rather than the kids themselves. So it's kind of like landed in between. And from there, I moved to the States and um, worked in the companies like um, IBM, uh, Oracle, um, and uh, Comcast for nine years. And I think the Comcast years for nine years were mostly that we're gonna talk about here and obviously what I do now because I worked as a senior program manager. So I work with um, companies and freelancers all through nine years to kind of oversee and design training. But there was so much work that we couldn't do it internally. And so I basically met every single vendor probably that we have in the States in those nine years. Oh, wow. And so that kind of leads you to where you are today, where you are um, focusing on more of the data and the research. And your latest interest is, tell us the name of your article. Do you have that finalized? Um, yes, it's uh, something about how to become a social designer or becoming a learning designer. Um, this, this whole article started about uh, six months ago or so when I, I, I started um, seeing these questions online in very different forms like LinkedIn or, or uh, Facebook groups or Twitter uh, about oh, so many teachers want to move and shift into social design and how they describe this, this moment of, of opening um, a, a new word is that it's like a parallel door to a universe that they've been teaching forever. And there's this whole world in social design they never knew of and it looks exactly like their world, but it's kind of different. And they're getting excited about this, this um, tools and everything that we have that they never had and how it could be used in different ways. And then they try to find their way into the you know, adult world. And I have to say, before we talk about anything else, that there's, I think, two different worlds for in social design. One is higher ed. And then the one is workplace learning, like corporate and that sort of thing. I've never been into higher ed. Um, I know people work there, but it's just such a different environment that all I know and I've been to and work with is, is and my experience is in the corporate world and the, the actual, you know, messy workplace learning. Oh, yeah. And um, that's mostly our audience are people who want to get into workplace learn, learning or corporate instructional design, too. So you're you're in good company. Yeah, so the idea was to to give some simple, I don't know, a summary of, hey, what you should know about this thing of instructional design or learning design or whatever the title is. And here's some steps um, and here's some resources because I am not, you know, um, anymore holding the uh, gate of the, the, the truth or something and I have the key. I just know a lot of people and I've seen a lot of things. I try to like have one place when people go in and see from end to end. So starting point of, hey, this is interesting. Where do I start all the way through interviewing some of the questions you might get or, or things that um, even after you're, you're getting how you might run into in workplace design. 
and then that was my that was my starting point of a goal and um i quickly ran into a lot of barriers when i started researching this <laughs> and barriers such as all the requirements that are needed for job application assets like those kinds of barriers or other barriers um i think mental barriers of what am i writing about um because First of all, the, the first thing I saw was just uh, looking at job descriptions because that's when um, looking at job descriptions and what I noticed that there are so many different titles that are out there and the job descriptions don't really match exactly what the titles are in one place versus in another. So there's uh, instructional designer, ISD in old ways, learning designers, learning experience designers, there's learning consultants, and then all the deaf part, and then now we have learning engineering and all kind of learning things out there. So that was like the first like stop of, am I writing to one of these group or two or all, or like who's my audience here? Yeah. What'd you narrow it down to? Uh, I could not narrow it down to. So here's what I did. I tried to come up with a chart that in some ways at least explains what these titles mean. Uh, not as a taxonomy of, oh, here's your in industry standard way of defining these things, but more like if you're into learning of anything in the adult world, then you actually have some basic things, fundamentals that you need to know. And then after that, you need to have some kind of interest. And that interest might lead you to one way or another. And this is where this chart comes in of whether you're really into the brain and how people learn and, um, and the science, reading um, articles and research. Um, some others are less worried about reading research itself, but just tell me what to do and how, because I want to do it. I'm more like a practitioner part. Some people want to do um, all the way from design to development, others just develop. So I tried to come up with this interest chart of where's your interest before you even apply for jobs? Where's your interest? And what those um, elements mean? What are those like factors that you might want to see? you know, make sure that, that you have a future, but it all start with the basics. And then from there, kind of like a T-shape um, approach of basics, and then kind of um, find your way into one of these, uh, one of these T-shaped depths. It's kind of it, much easier to see actually than describing, I just realized. Yeah, was there <laughs> four different categories or, I remember learning engineer and I remember making a comment something like, oh, it's got all the levels are, you know, the highest there. I wanna, I wanna be one of those, but that's not how that chart works. <laughs> no, um, so it, it's a very colorful chart. You'll see that, but it, it's about, I think like five of them. So I started with the traditional ID and ISD. Um, so that's like one column, instructional designer and instructional systems designer. And then the next one was the uh, learning experience designer. Um, learning designer is out there now. I see that more generic. So that's a, another one there. And then we have the learning consultant kind of titles like I have. And then we have just the developers, the learning developers, and the learning engineer uh, was the uh, last one. Yeah. And the learning engineer, they have to, that's more of the research and the neuroscience and that end of the spectrum. Is that, what, um, is that right? 
<laughs> yeah, so I had a lot of misconceptions, I have to admit, about the learning engineering thing, because it sounds really cool. So I engineered this engineer. I thought of this like picture of this engineer learning kind of thing. I had no clue about what exactly behind this. So I had to track it down. And that's why it took a long time to write the article. Uh, I had a great conversation with Ellen Wagner. She has a great article. She's kind of leading um, uh, the research on just finding and defining these things. I learned a lot about the background of how this this discipline or part uh, of our, our disciplines um, started and what's the aim for. But it, it sounds like something which is the most exciting thing about it or interesting is that it's not something that's coming from from learning it's actually coming from outside of learning um and and kind of like starting from the engineering part and applying science um it is not what it sounds like i think for for people it is not just um the research part but also the kind of like intersection of of learning science um, engineering discipline and and data so you can have this holistic picture of what you're um, what you're designing for learning but also kind of like the the science-based evidence-based approach and and uh, supported by data so it sounds complex um, for me um, but I love it because this is actually what I do. Like <laughs> I have both sides. So maybe this, I should be a learning engineer at some point. It's a way cooler title than learning consultant. I got to tell you. No, just, <laughs> 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 no, that's good. And so I imagine that, all right. So I've narrowed down uh, based on your uh, very informative chart that, you know, I want to be common instructional designer. I want to get those base level mm -hmm. skills that you probably lay out. And what does that look like? So in this chart in my article, actually I split the article into two. It's a two part now because there's just so much information in it. And the first part deals with these um, titles and what's behind them, what's your interest. Um, and before you get to the actual interest part is the basic layers. And I, I think uh, the basic fundamental part is is just you have to, no matter where you go and which way you go, you need to understand the learning science. So you don't basically waste time, resources, and money. Um, but that's kind of the theory of, of learning. And it goes down to closer and closer to like more practical and reality. And the, the lowest layer is kind of the implementation, the workflow. Um, because one thing that um, I've learned in the last decade is that this industry has been talking about our big change of how we're shifting from course creation, content creation to more like making impact. But I've seen these articles about the future of learning for the last decade. And I think now when this whole like pandemic and everything's going on, it's just an accelerator of that, 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 that trend. And it needs to happen sooner or later because um, if I always say that if your job is to fill templates, that's going to be replaced by AI very soon, by tomorrow. That is doesn't need another person to do that. Source information from all over, creating documents, creating courses based on templates, that's the easiest thing to automate. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the, you know, being able to, you think it's easy to automate just gathering in sources? 
Uh, I would say so that the easy automation is to replace a bad course um, yeah. because <laughs> we spend time and effort into creating something that either nobody's taking or is just too much information in it. There's no actionable items. And we spend uh, our time and energy of creating something that's not working. And then what we kind of tell the business is that that's what we, we here for, to, to wait for the last moment when somebody says we need training and need it tomorrow. So our, my article is kind of going through this, this change of what to do with this aspect of order taking. Because when, when you're new and you want this job, you're gonna be excited that you landed on your instructional design job, um, that you wanna please everyone. But actually this job starts with asking questions asking the right questions. And sometimes those questions are not easy to ask. If all you do is just really fill in the orders, um, then you end up with this bucket of, you're gonna be all brought to the table in the last moment and there's no time at that point to change it. So it's an interesting um, time, exciting time to start as an instructional designer or any learning professional, because you need to think beyond your courses and yet you don't have the experience yet. So it's kind of like a, an exciting new world, I think, what's, what's coming. Yeah, and I just saw an article um, in Forbes that came out last week that said that corporate training, online learning, you know, professional development will all be done online and they'll never go back to the classroom. That's what they said, you know, but they're just making those predictions right now. We actually talked about that article uh, among some some of us, and the first reaction was um, check who wrote the article and what the agenda is. <laughs> and you'll see that it's written by apparently uh, someone who's actually selling uh, online platforms. So whenever you read never, my brain always you know turns on to like, okay, what's the agenda here? Because you never say never. There's gonna be in between, and it's nothing about, the delivery method anymore. It, it is about the impact and efficiency of what you're doing. And that's why you need both learning science, busting all the myths that are out there about how you design them, but also you have to understand the, the restrictions and limitations and how the business works. Because you can create the best course in the world that covers content if that course is not used the right way or don't need by people on the job. They're not going to take time to review something for 30 minutes when they need an answer for two seconds. But um, at the same time, you need to work on those um, basic elements that they need, the fundamentals. So if you spend your time on the wrong things, then you're never going to be able to catch up because you always feel like there's more content needed, more content needed. Yeah. So what did you find? I'm sure you talked to a couple people. What did you find were some of uh, the the main misconceptions or uh, places that maybe new instructional designers getting it wrong or people trying to make that transition, they need some illumination on? What did you find? Um, so you'll see in the, in the article, um, I find great resources. Karen Oath has a great article on uh, diving into more of the descriptions of jobs um, versus the titles and some research, other research. Um, so first, what I, I I saw is the number one question always for, for people who want to get into this is how in the world, I almost said some uh, non-HR um, appropriate word here, <laughs> how in the world can I get into a job when it says entry level requires two and three years experience? Mm -hmm. 
And this is a question that I actually addressed all the way into the second one. So I'm not going to reveal the answer. You can read the article. But um, there is um, everything that, that, that in my article is an answer comes from uh, problem solving. And when you problem solve, the, the, I think the traditional like panic way uh, is trying to, to find a solution for this, this request as fast as I can so I can prove that I know. Um, instead of take a step back and reframe the question and reframe the problem of why are they asking for these two and three years of experience? And then once you start digging into that and the article helps you get through those steps, uh, once you understand why they're asking for that, then you can come up with a different answer and a different way of approaching that. So kind of decoupling between the words of what they say and the kind of like the, the rubric, the, the measurement that they're looking for. Because the easiest way to measure whether you have an experience of or not is asking for a title for two years, but that's not what they mean by that. Okay, so I promise that this <laughs> podcast will not come out before your article. So you got to tell us what it is. Oh, okay. All right. So then, all right. So then, then, then switch to like the, the, the simple um, solution. So again, the idea is that they're asking for a two, three, um, years of experience. It's not because they want you to have a resume with two, three years for an enter position. Uh, what they wanted to make sure is that they hire someone um, and they don't end up with wasting the recruiting fees, the, uh, the resourcing, the onboarding and everything. And it turns out this person is not capable of doing the job. And one way to measure that or risk that mitigation risking is to ask for the two, one, two, three years or whatever, how many years of title, assuming that if someone else took that risk already and this person went through that and has this, then somebody else took the risk so now they can take it on. So that's one way to do that. If you do have the experience, it's great. But if you don't, um, the question is, what else can you um, show them that, that kind of, answers to this two, three experience. And this is when I think changing the concept of, of looking at the problem, reframing it to a different perspective, how can you show the value or your assurance uh, what they're looking for? And so experience doesn't mean, again, the, the years of the title. Um, what you can show them is show them what problems that you solved, uh, what was the problem, how did you um, approach the problem, what you tried, what worked, what didn't, and what was the end result? And then you can, and that could be anything that uh, if you're studying right now, anything that you did for, uh, for your thesis, for your research, for an internship, whatever that is, uh, the more real life it is, the better. Um, if you volunteer your time, like I did when I started, I ran uh, the teacher parent organization's uh, website for, I don't know, five years. And all I did was just walk to the, the PTO and I said, hey, here's what I can do. Let me know when you need me. And then six months later, they called me that, hey, are you still able to do that? And so like, fine, I'll learn it quickly and then do it for you. So all these things that you do outside that doesn't have a title of social designers, but it has problem solving. That's something to do with learning. Um, you can use those and, and kind of rephrase that at the end, literally to the recruiter or hiring manager, that if they just looking for a title, you don't have it. But if you're looking for someone 
um, who can show the value and who can show the experience in other ways, um, problem solving, then um, here's my portfolio, here's my background, and here's some way of how I think and how I would solve problems. Here's what I showed you that I can learn on my own. I'm proactive. I know what the industry is going. I know I have the tools because I did it all by myself. I have the determination and commitment. If you're looking for someone that you're safe because of the title, I'm not the one. But if you want me to um, you know, join your team and show what I can do for you, I am the one. And so this is kind of like switching around uh, a little bit of the experience part. Now you still have to talk to them. So the, the problem also starts with people, which is another part of my um, article. Of you need to know people. Um, the easiest way to get into anywhere is through people and not through um, black boxes online or recruiters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, the network definitely helps. And um, I think that's also kind of like why uh, the academy members, they do get experience opportunities uh, in the academy, but it's because they build the, the proof. You know, the proof is in their portfolio and they have to write yep. case studies about each of their assets that they load in there to show exactly what you said, that they know how to solve problems and that they can think through their designs. So yeah, so portfolio, portfolio is, is a big piece um, in mine as well. There's so many great resources on building portfolios. So you find this in the article. Um, but what I focused on is really these elements of storytelling. Of what is your portfolio telling? And it has to be your story. And and it might sound um, actually um, bad, but when a hiring manager recruiter is looking at resumes, I did this uh, when we work with uh, many uh, freelancers. You think your resume is unique, but when you read 20 of them in a row, uh, believe me, instructional designers do the same thing. They use the same models, Addy, blah, blah, blah. Tools are the same because they're industry standard. They complete the same type of projects and it just sounds the same over and over and over again. I mean, the names are different, but it's just reading. It's hard to have someone stand out from there unless they have a portfolio and as portfolio shows them not only what they did, and this is, I think, crucial, but how and why they did what they did. So if I see something online that has a storyline interaction, that crazy animation thing that they created could be a completely waste of time and could be the, the, the most elegant solution. I have no idea unless you tell me what you're trying to solve here. And sometimes, and this is where, um, again, some examples in the article, that sometimes a checklist that you created and you give the you know, local um, PTO of here's how to use the site. If that works, put it on the site and say, here's how to solve the problem without any courses or building other things. And that helps me and um, the recruiters understand how you think, not just what you do. Yeah. What about that storytelling in your resume? You're saying that, you know, the portfolio really is how you get that story across. Is there any way to include your story in your resume based like to make yourself stand out or really it's the, it's the portfolio. Um, I think the portfolio, the portfolio can then open the doors. The, the resume is the upfront. I don't know much about the resume itself. It, it feels like it all depends on what you like. Some people love, when you just have thrown into the top of all the tools that you know, 
and all the processes that you use, that sort of thing. And then that's how people scan. Others believe that it has to be like a, a, a timeline type of thing, colorful, who knows what. I think it all depends on who's the hiring manager. But once you get the portfolio, the portfolio is live. It's online. And you can, on a, I mean, obviously, on a resume, you can write anything you want. You can twist. And you know that when you walk into one of those workshops, you can twist anything into a nice looking sentence that sounds like you invented the Rubik's Cube. Um, and that's fine, but then show me something that you actually did. And this is when the portfolio comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay. So they, they need a resume, they need a portfolio. What were some of the other things that you, um, advise them on obviously experience, but maybe like rethinking how they're going to go about, um, proving that experience. Was there anything else? Um, so there's a little, um, side uh, of the portfolio. So most people think about portfolio as the professional work that they put online to show that they can do it. Um, but the, the passion projects on your portfolio is as important as, as the professional ones because that's when you can show um, you know, how you think, what you care about as a person because people are not hiring an ID. It's not a number. They're hiring a person that they need to work with. And that's uh, whether you're biased or not, or you're admitted or not, uh, it helps to have a you know, 360 understanding of who the person is, what it would look like, what it would feel like to work with this person. If you're creative, don't just say you're creative, show something that's creative. And if you're not sure if it's like really border case, it's not your professional, put them into the passion part because nobody's scrutinizing your passion project. What they say is like, well, this person learned um, special effects or whatever that is just because they were interested in. Okay. So they learn fast, um, online, um, on their own. So they can, you know, take a lot of away from, from the personal things and you don't lose any, um, that's good because that's you. And at, at the same time with a twist on it is don't try to be someone else online. Um, just because it sells, as I always say, don't try to get the job being someone else because you might actually get the job. <laughs> and then what happens? Very, very true. This is, this is all sage advice for sure. And then uh, just to answer your question, so what else? The, the next part kind of delve into, okay, so you have a portfolio, you have a resume, open the door, you go uh, for the interview. And through the interview, I, again, I see over and over again, asking these questions from candidates is, uh, I'm going to have to build something on the fly. Uh, they told me I have, I'm going to have like 20 minutes or 10 minutes to build something. They will tell me the, the content or give me the content, that sort of thing. And so what, what shall I do? And so my advice on that is, is, is think again, why they're asking uh, for you to do this. It is because, um, they really want you to show on the fly that you can use the tool if it's about like building something in storyline, for example. Um, or is it because that's how they work in real life that SMEs give you, you know, 70 page content, it's all important and, and you need to come up with, um, with a solution. And so my advice is to actually uh, not, don't just jump in and start building something and show your, your best thinking or way. Just simple, tell them that is, this exercise obviously is not 
realistic. In 20 minutes, we don't build things. We don't build solutions in 20 minutes. So I want you to understand that uh, I can do either a great um, you know, demonstration of how I use the tool, or I can uh, figure out a good solution or create a solution for a problem, but I need to know the assessment criteria. What does success looks like for you when I <laughs> give you this uh, piece of content? And so you basically force them to tell you how they're gonna uh, review this. What is their goal? And there are two reasons to that. One is if they testing you of how you would work with SMEs, uh, whether you're just an order taker and then just jump in and build things, that's a good way to start because that's what you would do anyway. And two is that if they really think that in 10 minutes you're gonna build a course or content or something and all you need is just content for it, then they might actually work this way. And if that's the case, then you might not want to get the job <sighs> because you end up with basically in this machine, they're replacing people over and over again. All they do is just here's the content, quickly build something. And that's not what instructional design is about. Yeah, the most, uh, we see a lot of different tests uh, that academy members have to go through to land their jobs. And sometimes it's full essays that they write to you know, explain their thinking process about a scenario that they're given. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's exa exactly what you said where um, they want you to design a solution in 20 minutes. A lot of the times they want you to do, give a presentation on a part of their business mm -hmm. or their values. And so th it th those tests come in a lot of different forms. Yeah. Or, and and so this is where uh, you need to think about your depth, uh, kind of back to the chart. If you're, if you're really strong in the development part and you do want to do that, show, show your value and your storyline captivate whatever your skills you have. And sometimes they send you homework, like um, send you a content and you think about it, how would you redesign is that sort of thing. Um, if you're serious about that, that job and you want to show, then you can actually take that or part of it, rebuild it and send it back. Not just talking about it or create a presentation, but show them what you could do, literally, even just a part of it. What was the problem? How you solved it? And here's what I can build for you in you know, four hours or something like that. And I think that shows more for one, um, but, you only, but only do that for the job that you really want. So don't do that like every single job that uh, you're, you're trying to apply to, because then you're gonna waste your time. Uh, or maybe not, maybe you're building your um, your portfolio <laughs> <laughs> as you're doing that. Um, but make sure that, that you show and tell. So this is the storytelling part of telling things that you can do is one, showing how you do it and showing the value, that's a different one. That, that can basically help you to get in inside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the same for our learners too, right? We can tell at them or speak at them or we can demonstrate and show. So. This is really good. So, all right. So have you shared everything you want to share in your, in your article or have I missed, have we missed anything? Um, there's going to be a lot of, of, I think, references because this is a topic that's covered um, all over. I think if you Google it, there's a lot of information out there, even um, actually too much because um, you have to sweep through of which one actually is, is valid, which one is more like a, a marketing I'm saying so I try to for each topic and each section try to add um, a lot of extra resources that you can go in and research and find and 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 I ended up with um, 
focusing on literally the the one of the biggest problems once you get hired so yeah this is a great thing you get hired but that's not your destination it's just a milestone huge milestone but it's a milestone and from there you have to start working and that's when i think one of the the most common issues um that you might face is the subject matter expert and their 40 page deck of important thing what do i do with that um i can't create a course out of that it doesn't fit that sort of thing so i'll give you a little bit around that as well of how do you approach that what are the ways to to cut it down and make it more impactful and it's more like your your future once you get higher kind of over the beyond the uh, beyond the, the hiring yeah that's that's wonderful. Okay, so now you've done all this research, you are, you are sharing with people who want to find a place to like get started in this field. So based on all your years of experience and your current article and um, all that other information that you have, tell us what is your best and final tip for those who want to become idols? So it's, it's, I call it the PowerPoint VPT. Not nothing to do with the actual um, application, but it's P, P and T. So people, processes and tools. Um, the network of people, and there's actually more in-depth um, conversation in the article about how to find the right people and and how to find um, um, the, the, the right network and how to network, that's one. Um, the other one is processes. You need to understand how instructional design tools, processes, models work, and then what tools you need. And those three, I think, um, gives you kind of like a 360 um, best um, approach from each kind of leg, a three-stood leg, as a starting point um, to get to get your get an instructional design, learning design, or whatever design job, and move from there. That's wonderful. So where do you want to? people to find you? Do you want them to go to your website or check you out on LinkedIn or how can people connect with you? Um, so I live on anywhere and everywhere. So if you find me anywhere, say hi. Um, you can connect me on LinkedIn. Um, that's the, the easy one, I think, for the professional one on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter as rabbit or rag. I'll, I'll send you the um, hashtag because you need to spell it. But um, we participate on Thursdays on, on LRN chat. If you're interested in uh, or just want to lurk on Twitter, um, come on Thursday. It's at um, 7.30 Eastern time. So basically, we have a topic that we discuss live throughout this Twitter um, feed. And if you want to meet, uh, meet me or ask any questions, um, I belong to several of the instructional design group on Facebook. And I always happy to just give you one up. Um, answers to think if it's easy or just give you uh you know some people's names that they're much better to um, answer those questions so i'll happy to connect with anyone thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our idol network and i really appreciate just the chance to meet and chat with you thank you so much robin and good luck to uh everyone who's out there hunting for jobs thank you so much for listening you can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, 
and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses. Thank you.